Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. As the time approached when he was to be taken from this world, Jesus firmly resolved to proceed toward Jerusalem and sent messengers on ahead. They entered a Samaritan town to make preparations for him, but the Samaritans wouldn't welcome Jesus because his destination was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Rabbi, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and reprimanded them. Then they set off for another town. As they were making their way along, they met a fellow traveler who said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have lairs, the birds of the sky have nests, but the chosen one has nowhere to rest. To another traveler, Jesus said, Follow me. The traveler replied, Let me bury my father first. Jesus said in return, Let the dead bury their dead. You go and proclaim the reign of God everywhere. Yet another traveler approached Jesus in this way. I'll be your follower, Rabbi, but first let me say goodbye to my people at home. Jesus answered, Whoever puts a hand to the plow but keeps looking back is unfit for the reign of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Lincoln. Let's pray together. Loving God, you, um, you call us your beloved children. But oh, how we forget. Oh, how easy it is for us to just kind of go through the rhythms of our life to, to numb out in so many ways, to just look for the next thing, never believing that here there is enough and that you are present. And so I pray that you would teach our hearts to follow, to follow you in your ways, to follow you in a way of living in this world that is so different that strips away all of the identities and the things that make us feel worthy and proud and remind us of the core, of our creational core of a beloved child, of a great creator. So we want to follow you. We want to set our gaze on the things that you are looking on. Walk with us. In your deep humanity, walk with our humanity. In your deep divinity, be with us in ways we could never think or imagine. We love you. We pray that you would use the words of this scripture, that you would use my words to speak to our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want you to think of maybe the last road trip um, that you took. Do we have anyone taking any long road trips this summer? Where are you going? Where are you going? Come on now. Michigan, Jay, California, longer road, anyone driving? Oh, yeah. Road trips, there's something to it. It's like just the way of life. Like it feels so good and so wrong at the same time, doesn't it? There's nothing like a road trip. Like there, there's the conversations that you're just stuck with other humans in the car and you want to maybe get away or you want to be there and you're, you're just there and so conversations rise up on the journey. There is the sights that you see, like you need to pull off and see the world's largest rocking chair or whatever it may be. There is the food and then with the food comes the smells of the food, 
that you are trapped within. There's something about a road trip. Our family, I feel like, lives and dies on these road trips. Like these are our like core of when we are reminded who we are is like we just pack into a car. Not too long ago, we were on a trip on a spring break. We were like, let's go down to Durango. We've never been down to Durango, Colorado. We've never been down that section. Let's go get some national parks under our belt. And so we packed up everything. It's 5.30 in the morning. We're leaving Boulder. We're kind of rubbing the crusties out of our eyes. And we're sitting in the car. And Lauren, my wife, begins to explain like what the road trip is going to be like. Here's where we're going. Here's how long it's going to take. Here's how we need you to stay civilized as human beings in this car together. And if you stay civilized without fighting, yelling, or screaming, we will reward you. Um, we have figured out there is like only certain ways to survive road trips. We used to have the road trip ferry that would present presents after every like third hour if they made it. If not, they were denied. And then that just became too hard to plan. So we moved to, you would get a point system for the children and myself that if you behaved in the car, you would earn points, and at that point, you could get snacks at the gas station or things that you wanted to get, things that we were already going to buy, but now they have to earn it. You get it. Um, <clears throat> so they get points, and so Lauren's explaining this all to the kids at 5.30 in the morning. We're all kind of waking up, and they're starting. You can see their imagination thinking, like, what am I going to do with all the points I'm going to get? And then out of nowhere, my um, youngest daughter, Ellie, or my, my daughter, Ellie, seven, yells out loud, I can't wait till I get my points because I'm going to get some keychains and nachos. <laughs> and we're like, what are you talking about? She's like, keychains and nachos, that's what I want. I was like, we cried for like an hour. Whoever put together keychains and nachos, you can just see the kid coming with glory out of the gas station with a with like a box of nachos that we would never allow in the car, but she would bring them and then like a prized keychain. And so we named it our trip, Keychains and Nachos. It just felt like you know you're living life well when the theme for life is I'm going to get me some keychains and nachos. I say all of this because in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus and his disciples, they are on this journey, on this trip, and it takes a major shift right here in this passage at Luke 1. This is kind of like the center of the Gospel of Luke in which we see everything change from this moment forward. They had spent a majority of their time in the small kind of cities, the towns of Galilee and outside of it. They had done the miracles and the teachings, and Jesus is kind of going around Jerusalem, around the main city, maybe stopping in every once in a while, but the way that Luke has it is that the majority of it is outside of things. Things are going well. Word is getting out. Jesus is starting to heal, and more people are showing up to his ministry and his teaching. The disciples are starting to feel proud about themselves. They're being sent out by Jesus to go and do good works in these small towns, and they're thinking, you know what? We might be kind of good at this. It leads to this climax in which Jesus brings Peter and James and John. He says, let's go up to this mountain. And they go up to this mountain and have this amazing mystical experience in which Moses and Elijah, these prophets from the Old Testament, are revealed. And Jesus is revealed in all this glory, this transfiguration of like the divinity of Christ is revealed here in this world. It is a jaw-dropping, awe-opening wonder of like what is happening in this world. All of this is building. You can feel the excitement. You can feel the life as they're touring around outside the city. And then Jesus just kind of ruins it all. 
In the chapter right before, in the beginning of nine, Jesus starts telling the disciples twice about predicting of his own death, saying, hey, this is great, but you know where this is all leading. And they just refuse to believe him. And so Jesus begins to kind of reflect on this end, this end of his life, this end of this journey that he sees at the end of it all, and he's beginning to take it all in himself. And it changes the tone of the trip. It changes the tone of the journey. Just as the disciples are building up in pride and excitement about their own life and their own kingdom and how they're going to rule, Jesus sees a different ending and begins to let them in on it. I don't know if you have had the honor of walking with someone as they get towards their end. It's different for everyone, but sometimes some of the themes that we've learned is as people are kind of maybe getting to the end, sometimes there's this amazing ability that people kind of know. There's like an awareness of it. No matter if all of the doctors and people around them say, no, 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 there's, there's an awareness, almost an acceptance. There's a clarity that can come in our end, our clarity about what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose of what are the things that I wish I would have invested more in. I just ran into a friend this week at a coffee shop, and I said, how are your summer going? She said, you know, it's been hard, but it's been the most meaningful. My dad passed away. I traveled all the way out to Australia Australia to go on this big adventure, but I actually just spent time with my dad as we said goodbye, and it was one of the most beautiful times in my life. Many, as they're approaching death, start to get things in order. Their words and their conversations begin to have like a gravitas to them, and they often become deeply focused and present to life. We hear it in Martin Luther King's speech, the the one right before the day he's assassinated, where he says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop, And I don't mind. Like anyone, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I might not get there with you, but I want you to to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It is this type of shift, this type of vision, this type of understanding of what is before him that Jesus has. And so Jesus comes down from the mountaintop, comes down from this transfiguration, and begins to talk about this death and this suffering that he is walking to. And then in the Gospel of Luke, we hear these words repeated a couple of times. In this passage, it says, he turned his face to Jerusalem. He turned his face to to Jerusalem. This is the hinge of the whole gospel. Everything changes from this point. Every incident from here, it, it, it is changed and it is shadowed by this coming in this way of the cross. This is like the tipping point in Jesus' ministry for the, according to the gospel of Luke. Have you ever experienced this in your own life, in your own journey? 
a marker in the road, perhaps, when everything changed. There was the life before that event. There was a life before you read that book. There was a life before you met that person. And then there was the life after. You had that feeling like we just can't go back. We can no longer unsee, unlearn, unexperience what just happened. Life begins to take a different journey. This happens for Jesus as he turns his face to Jerusalem, as he turns his face towards suffering, as he turns his face towards pain, as he turns his face to this calling in which he has been called. There's that moment, like in Lord of the Rings, where we step outside of the Shire, outside of that place that we know as safe and secure And we're stepping into a land that we do not know where it is leading. But we turn our face to the unknown. We turn our face towards the pain. We turn our face to the mystery and the things that often scare us. And we journey. And it never is the same. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Have you had that moment, or maybe you're in the middle of one, where everything begins to change, and you can see it before you just a little bit, and you feel that call to walk towards it? Eugene Peterson, in um, the translation of the gospel in the message, he says this, Jesus gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus gathers up this moment of courage because that is what these moments in our life demand. It is a courageous, vulnerable, humiliating act to not know exactly what is before us, but feel called beyond ourselves and to journey towards it. And Jesus is not just journeying towards something, but he's journeying towards a place that he knows actually will be painful before it is hopeful. And so Jesus turns his face with courage, and he turns towards his end, and he seems to know what lies ahead. He sees the empire and the religious systems of his day, and he knows that walking into the very center of those places, that they will not receive him. But Christ is clearly living off a different vision from his life than the one the world is trying to offer him. I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anyone, I'd like to live long. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned with that now. I just want to do God's will. I can see this rhythm in Jesus' soul. I just want to do God's will. Now, the way that I like to imagine and hold this is I don't think Jesus has perfect clarity of what that's going to look like. And sometimes we we have a knowing, but we don't have a perfect plan. There's no guide to it. But we know we're called beyond ourselves. We know we're called into something. We know that God is moving and is with us and building a courage within us. But we are scared. and We don't know exactly how it's all going to play out. But we walk. We follow. There is such a deep focus, a non-rush urgency in Jesus' way. He actually just kind of comes off cranky. This is what I like to describe as like cranky Jesus in the middle of the gospel, which is so helpful to us. You know, do you ever feel that way? Yeah, you do. I've seen it. You see, Jesus, Jesus is this non-rushed urgency. He is sometimes walking 
sometimes in our life and what we see in Jesus is that walking towards our end, walking towards this place of death, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, walking towards this death transforms the way in which we live. Let me say that walking towards our end, seeing it there in front of us can transform the way in which we live here and now. Accepting that we may be mortal can change the way in which we live here and now. But too much of our life we spend just ignoring it all and numbing it all because it feels too scary to be present to our life here and now. At the very center of this journey, Jesus says to his disciples and says to us very simply, what are we supposed to do? Follow me. Follow me. It's what he said in the beginning. It's what he says in the middle and he'll say in the end. The journey with Christ asks us to reflect and to wonder, are we living out our daily life with our end in mind? Jesus' heart and mind are focused and present, and as we follow him, there is a call to seize the day, to see the kingdom of God at hand here and now, to taste and to give life towards others as we journey towards our own end and death. There is a moment in life in which we are called to maybe even just get some of our keychains and nachos, to laugh at until we cry, to use our gift and our story for the life of other people, to seek the divine that is always seeking us, to live life present and with a gratitude to let go of maybe all the identities, all the strivings, all the approvings that we've been trying to earn for so long, to burn it all and just live. This is this call to follow me. Jesus and his disciples start this intentional, seize the day journey, following God with every step as they travel, but there's a problem. The beginning of their journey begins in enemy lines. And so they kind of know if we're going to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, we've got to kind of go through Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews at this time, they, they had been extremely divided and were not getting along in many reasons for a long, long story. Jesus has an amazing compassion in all of his stories and his parables of the Good Samaritan and others. For these people that are often de- deemed as the enemy, Jesus has a way of seeing their otherness and seeing the seeing God in those that are often deemed as others. And so they have to travel through Samaria. And the Samaritans, it seems, are kind of getting excited about Jesus because of an, instead of rejecting them, he has a compassion for them. And so they, as he's coming through, they're like, okay, he's coming through again. Now we get to get him onto our agenda and what we want. But Jesus says, no, I'm sorry. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I have this other plan. I have this thing that God is leading me to. And so I, I can't stop and I can't do what you want me to do. And so they become angry. They become angry and they offer no hospital, hospitality to him. My friends, as humans, often we are wanting, to God, we are wanting God to serve our personal agendas. And when God doesn't, something in us freezes We close shop on our hearts, refusing to be hospitable to God and to others. This happens. 
And so the disciples react. They're angry. A righteous anger. They want to call down fire, just like the guy Elijah that they had just met on the mountaintop a couple days. And they're like, let's take one out of his book and call down fire upon our enemies. The disciples are feeling very empowered. I mean, they are woke. They are feeling this feeling of righteousness. They are believing that they are on the right side of things all now. They're doing miracles. They're following this rabbi whose ministry and agenda seems to be building and building and building. And Jesus teaches us such an important lesson as we journey. When we go through our own spiritual, our own mental, our own emotional, maybe even political changes and views, transformation, waking up to like a new way of understanding God, a new way of understanding justice, adopting maybe a new transformed worldview, when we kind of like wake up to life in some ways, often what we want to do with this transformation is send fire and judgment upon other people who are not like us. Both sides do this. All sides do this. It's just part of what we do. We wake up. We feel transformed. God meets us in a certain way. And, and we take that empowerment and we use it for our own pride. And we long to send fire upon others. It's like coming home from that first year in college and you're like a lion just waiting for mom and dad to say something that doesn't, that doesn't fit your now highly educated way of being and you are gonna prance on them and let them know what is right. So the disciples do this. Hey, Jesus, don't worry. We'll take care of this. We'll send some fire because we've got power now. We are on the right side of things now. And Jesus just pretty much kindly says, stop it. Let's focus on what we're supposed to focus on. In following Jesus, we're not allowed to use our personal spiritual transformation, our woke understanding as weapons against other people. It doesn't mean we don't proclaim truth. It doesn't mean we don't share our story, but we cannot use our transformations, our learning, what God is doing in our life as a weapon against other people. God, Jesus reprimands his disciples and he asks them, to keep a clear focus on their calling, to turn their face to Jerusalem, to be present to what God is doing in their time and not churning it and turning on their enemies. All of this journey we are called to is life. It's this journey of following Christ. And just when we think, oh, we get it now, Jesus says, you don't get it, just follow me. <laughs> Jesus is laying out a path, a path for us that honestly, I can't lie. Welcome to church. But sometimes the Jesus way is tough. There is a cost to it. There is a death to it. Jesus is calling his disciples not to be in a different world, a utopia sometimes, but he's calling them to be different in this world. And that's going to demand a dying to themselves, a dying to their righteousness and a following of God. On the road, Jesus encounters three people who want to follow him. We can probably put ourselves in one of these three places. And Christ kindly and clearly says to them, this is, this is what you need to do. As Brene Brown says, clarity is kindness. So yeah, it seems in some ways it's like, Jesus, let the guy bury his father. Come on now. Remember that that process probably takes a year um, in this culture. 
But there, there is a clarity in which Jesus says, this is where we're going. This is what I'm about. And if you want to follow me, the time is now. It is not guilt-ridden, but there is an urgency and a focus to it because life is precious and we cannot waste our time with it. So he calls them to follow, but he knows that there is a deep worldly cost to this following. And so Jesus approaches three of them and tells them like, hey, here's what it's going to look like if you want to follow. The first he says, hey, yeah, come follow me, but remember that um, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man is here and he has no place to lay his head. There's, an, there's a sculptor um, who, there's many sculptures around the world of it, but there, it's called Homeless Jesus, which there's this photo of Jesus um, sitting on a bench. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, Jesus has no place to lay his head. We forget that he did not have a power, he did not have a system, he did not have things in this world and which created security and comfort for him. We are following this person that is completely stripped down. And he's saying to this disciple who's saying, hey, I'd love to follow you. He's like, yeah, good luck. Because I don't have a home right now. And it's hard. To the others, <coughs> foxes, don't, one, I don't have a home. To the others that, I, you know, I, I need to kind of bury, I need to bury my dead. I need to bury my father. And Jesus says, you know, let the dead bury their dead. Which is saying, your culture is saying, do this. And I'm saying you need to live in the exact opposite way sometimes of the culture around you. To all three, he gives a different reasons of why they may not be able to follow him. From not having a base or home to a culturally insensitive suggestion that the dead bury each other to not looking back to what's behind. Jesus knows that there are times, my friends, in our journey that we have to consider if we are prepared to give up our security, our home, if we can break out of the demands that culture places upon us and proclaim a kingdom that is present with us, and if we can stay focused on the journey ahead. For anyone looking back will be tempted to return to a place of safety and security when times get rough, when pain enters the picture. It seems that Jesus is wanting to point out a truth about life. My friends, that life is short. And so how are, what are we going to do about that reality? Are we going to react in fear? Are we just going to try to build security, build identities that make us, face, just make us safe, just go along with the culture? Or are we willing to turn our face to Jerusalem and let some of it go and trust and follow the God who created us, knows us, and holds our hope? Are we willing to let go of our security? to live outside the cultural norms, to stay engaged to the present, to the journey which we have been called and comes face, we come face to face with. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer may have said it right when he said, when Jesus bids someone to come and follow, he bids them to come and die. Now, I hope that I've earned enough and that you know me enough if you've been here that you do not hear the guilt of be more, try harder. I hope that you hear the beauty of life 
And the call to just not numb ourselves, the call to not just avoid this life, to just go through the motions because it's what we're supposed to do, but the call to sit and to be present to the life that is with us and to follow. Friends, we need to taste and see that Jesus is good right now. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but right now. Even still, Jesus calls you and me to follow him right now. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but right now. Not when we get things in order. Not when life is a little more certain and less chaotic. No, Jesus calls you and me and is ready to send us to be servants today. To forgive now. To love now. To serve now. To do justice now. To tell the truth and be honest and vulnerable now. To work for peace now and reconciliation now. To sacrifice now. To rest and be present to the divine here and now. To put others first now. To live for God now. Urgency and presence and focus marks the disciples' call. The call to follow Jesus is a call to follow here and now. He turned his face to Jerusalem. He was fully present to the life because he saw the end. It's a dangerous business, my friends. Going out your door, you step onto the road, you follow him, and if you don't keep your feet, There is no knowing where the beauty of this life may sweep you off to. Let's pray. God, we can never thank you enough for the gift of life. How we forget when we wake, when we take that breath, when we open our eyes, how we forget that every moment is a gift. How easy it is to forget your presence with us here and now. This world, our life, is full of so much distractions. We stare at our phones, we worry about our bank accounts, we stress over so many things. It's part of what it means to be human. But you came down and you entered it all. You came and showed us a different way to be present to this life, to be present to you, to look at our enemies and see the divine within them, to forgive, to move towards pain, knowing that there is resurrection. And so Jesus, teach us wherever we are in our life to follow you, no matter the cost. Teach us to lay down our righteousness. Teach us to lay down our agendas. Teach us to lay down our securities and comfort and simply to focus on you. Lead us to the way of life, through your life, your death, and your resurrection. It's in your name we pray.